0: Welcome to the Female Disruptors Office Hours, a podcast audio experience created for women by women. My name is Lisa Bayer and I will be your host. Each episode, I will interview females and minorities disrupting in their space. We're going to talk about how you can break through the age and gender discrimination, how women can take back your power, how you can have anything you want at any age. So let's get started. Hi everybody, welcome to the Female Disruptors Office Hours. My name is Lisa Beyer. I have Krista near with us as our guest today from Bootcamp Digital. She's the founder of Bootcamp Digital and she is also a Meta Certified Trainer. We're gonna talk a little bit about what that means. Fun fact is that Krista and I happen to both be living currently in Boca Raton, which has not been the case. We've known each other for, I'm gonna say 12 years. We've done many master's workshops together for a conference called PubCon, which is an internet marketing conference. Okay, Krista, why don't you see if you can join now?
1: Okay, let me try it. There, there you go.
0: we go. Yay. Okay. So I don't know if you could hear what I was talking about, but I was just saying, just fun fact about us, that we've known each other probably for, I'm going to say more than 10 years. We are currently living, we're both living in Boca Raton, which is so ironic because a year ago, Krista was living in Amsterdam. and. I was living in between celebration and Jupiter Florida today we're talking about female's guide to digital marketing that doesn't mean you have to be a female to be on this but we're gearing it towards females and minorities and whether you're beginning in, in digital marketing or whether you're already in digital marketing this is a chance to level up and learn more we're Always students. So, Krista, I'm going to turn it over to you just if you want to give everybody a little bit about your background and your journey to right now as the founder of Bootcamp Digital and also a certified meta trainer, what that means. Got you.
1: Hi, everyone. Nice to virtually meet you. I'm Krista Nair, the CEO of Bootcamp Digital. And so my journey in this space, essentially, you know, I started my marketing career off working at Procter & Gamble, so big brand builder. And I learned a ton about branding and the foundations of marketing there. And I, at the same time, met somebody who had an internet startup, and I started doing marketing there. And this was in 2007. It was the earliest days of social media. Believe it or not, we did MySpace marketing super legit if anyone else was on my but that was how I got into the space. And I just really loved it. And what I loved is the opportunity that social and digital create as an equalizer across businesses, because in traditional marketing, the biggest budgets win, right? That's the name of the game paid, paid, paid. But as we look at digital, it's the smartest companies that are winning and businesses are able to pop up, and be successful in a very short time frame, which just wasn't possible previously in traditional marketing. And so for the last 15 years through Bootcamp Digital, I've been working with businesses, speaking at events, and really helping businesses and individuals to learn how to maximize the way they use these tools to get better results faster.
0: Yeah, and we have a lot in common, because I started out in really just traditional public relations, and I saw yeah. such an opportunity with using social media and leveraging social media and SEO through the lens of the of the public relations practitioner and professional so earning that media through new channels which you know before we had the opportunity to leverage digital in the PR arena nothing changed for like 50 years like since PR was invented it was the same old process pitching the journalists and getting, trying to get the journalists to lobby them to get stories and get quoted, and now we have so many opportunities to own our media and go straight to our audience, whether it's prospects or customers or even journalists you, through through social media and digital marketing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's such a cool space. And what I love is, you know, on the one hand, foundational strategies will last a long time, right? If you think of a business and the basic things you would tell them to do to grow, that's not really changed much in 10 or 15 years in terms of social, search, your website, ads. But we see so much innovation in the communication platforms, right? And the type of content that works and the little tactics and tricks and features that can really elevate what you're doing and how you connect with your audience. So it keeps it really exciting, I think, as a space overall.
0: Yes, definitely. So I have Nyama. She's dialing in from Naples, Italy. How cool is that? And she's currently a digital marketer. So I would love to hear some burning questions you might have for us, what it's like in your day-to-day life as a digital marketer, maybe what struggles or challenges you might have. And we can address those during today's episode. So Krista, what are some of the ways that if you're a female or a minority, you could leverage ways to elevate your personal brand?
1: Yeah, got you. Great topic. So personal branding is an area I have a ton of passion for so much. I wrote a book on it a couple of years back and I've been teaching it for over 10 years. And, you know, one of the things that I see when you look at business professionals, especially online, as I said in the intro, what I love about social and digital is it's a big equalizer But it's only an equalizer for the people who use these tools well. And one of the things that I see when it comes to building a professional brand is that a lot of people just don't put the time and energy into it. And I get it. Like, we're busy. There's times I'm not super motivated to do this stuff either. But when you focus on building a strong brand for yourself, what it does is it attracts opportunities toward you instead of you chasing those same opportunities down, And what I often find, you know, I do so many LinkedIn workshops, and what I try and tell people is the difference between an amazing LinkedIn profile and a bad profile isn't what you've done. It's not about your accomplishments. It's about the effort you put in to packaging packaging and positioning it. And I think women especially are less comfortable bragging, often don't want to feel like they're touting themselves. But it's a huge opportunity from a personal brand standpoint to really... Deliberately craft your brand. What are you about? Why do you stand out? And then bring it to life online because you can really make a name for yourself just by doing a few simple things consistently.
0: I totally agree. And, you know, a lot of times, even with you see young adults coming out of college, they see LinkedIn as just their basically, you know, digital resume. And it's so much more than that. And there's so, so many. Especially over the past two or three years, so many new features have come out on LinkedIn to help you elevate your personal brand and showcase your, not just where you work, but your accomplishments, your content. One, I'll just share one thing that I love about LinkedIn, that a new feature is that you can have, not new new ish like your profile image can also be a, a I think it's like a 20 second video so it could go mm-hmm. in and out of a, your image and then your 20 second video yeah. and I yeah. think that's a really neat way to you know showcase your personal brand yeah. what are some tips you could give whether it's LinkedIn for women to I also wanted to touch on the, the part that women versus men don't really like to brag about themselves where men have yeah. no problem with it whatsoever yeah. what are some ways I think I feel like women sometimes have this goes with PR too, like imposter syndrome. Like they're not worthy yeah. of showcasing or they're afraid to like be too bold. So what are some ways that women and minorities can use LinkedIn to elevate their personal brand, some actionable things?
1: Yeah, so when I think about LinkedIn, the steps that I think about are profile, people, posting, and participating. Those are your four basic steps. So when it comes to your profile, honestly, it's really about... Featuring the right type of content, completing it as much as possible and using hidden features. Like, for example, you can add multimedia to your work to make it stand out. That featured section at the top is really powerful.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Also thinking about using bullet points versus so much text. So if you think of a consumer of your LinkedIn profile, even a hiring manager, nobody sits and like reads all these words. People hate reading. What they're doing is they're scanning to get an idea of who you are. So if you really can choose your, you know, five big accomplishments where somebody would be like, oh, wow. And bring those to the forefront that's going to give you the most sort of leverage and there's so many ways to highlight them again use that featured section at the top, you can add images into your work experience like if you want an award at work or something like that bullet points in your summary that highlight these things so there's a lot of different tools at your disposal to really get a good profile right so it's the first one is your profile. The second one is people. You want to start strategically building your network. What's great about LinkedIn is that open networking is more acceptable. So on Facebook, for example, you can't go and add people to Facebook you don't know. I mean, where you shouldn't. <laughs> LinkedIn, it's about loose connections, right? So maybe I don't know this person, but they're friends with Lisa. And so I feel comfortable adding them to my network. And they also do digital marketing. So what we're doing is we're trying to connect with people who have relevant context to us, right, and start to grow that sphere of influence, because people do look at, you know, things like how many people follow you, etc, when they're assessing your credibility, so it does matter to some degree. So growing a network of influential, relevant people, one of the tactics that I use for this is like, let's say, Lisa, you and I are connected. Somebody who's interested in you would also be a good fit for me probably to connect with. So I might look at the people who are commenting on your stuff. And if they're saying interesting things, maybe that's someone I'm going to invite or people who are liking your content. So now I'm finding people who are active, and are actively integrating or participating with your content, right? So that's our second P is people. The third one, consistently posting good content keeps you top of mind. We, and I feel like this is a, you know, a lot of the times if you don't get a lot of likes or feedback, you feel like no one's listening. So many people are just stalking on LinkedIn. They don't like, they don't participate, but they see stuff and it has an impact. I just posted about a Chicago boot camp that we have coming up. I didn't get any likes but, or I got a few likes, but two people sent me direct messages, right? And another friend sent me a note and was like, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago that week. Would you want to meet up? So even though I'm not always getting that, feedback of likes and comments and all that it's definitely having an impact on my audience right so posting regularly and strategically is really important and even if you think of things that like elevate yourself so another thing that I thought was funny when this happened a couple years ago I was hiring some roles so of course I posted about it on Facebook and LinkedIn and everywhere and it didn't do super well like I didn't get a million people commenting then I was back in Cincinnati. So I had lived in Cincinnati for like 12 years. I was living in Amsterdam. I was back in Cincinnati after posting. And I'm at a networking event. And all these people I know who I haven't seen in years are like, wow, your business is doing so great. Congratulations on your success. And I'm like, why do they think my business is doing well? Like it is, but like, I don't post my p I don't brag about my <laughs> new clients. That's not my vibe. So I was like, why do you think my business is doing well? And they're like, well, you're hiring all these people. And I thought how funny that something as subtle as that creates this impact, right? I don't have to go and brag, but by strategically thinking about what are the signals that I'm doing well, people pick those up real quick. So that's another thing I think that's vital. And then participating like other people's content comment, you know, the more positive energy you put out there, the more positive energy you attract back. So I know that's a lot, not a short answer, but those would be the, you know, the four key areas for LinkedIn success.
0: Yeah. I think one other thing that I always like to advise clients from a PR standpoint, but it helps your personal branding is to try to get a byline article or get published right for a publication because that gives you an opportunity to showcase your, your expertise and, you know, having a byline article, even if it's in an industry publication, elevates your personal brand and, you know, the, maybe you're up for a promotion or you're up, you know, to pitch a client and who you're up against doesn't have that credibility. And that's, you know, I think that that is a way to actually elevate your personal brand. Well, and another dirty secret of our
1: industry that no one talks about, I'm just going to tell everyone because you're all (laughs) taking the time to be here, but is these pay for play writing opportunities. So Forbes has their councils, which I participate in. You pay a certain amount a year, maybe it's a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks or something. And you can publish 12 articles a year. And you can participate in these like expert roundups, you know, and they're like 12 thought leaders, blah, blah, blah. So I did this as a test. But what's super interesting is I'm paying for the opportunity to write. Just don't go and post about this. On social media, those of you who are here don't blow my cover, but <laughs> it's not a secret. But I don't advertise it either, right? But what's funny is people in the industry who know it—they know what's up. Nobody else does, though. So the first article I wrote, I posted it on LinkedIn and Facebook, and all my friends were like, "Oh my god, that's so amazing! You're writing for Forbes!" And I'm kind of thinking in my head, "Well, I paid to do it, but section is reality, though. It's totally true." And like Newsweek has this Entrepreneur. Forbes, Fast Company. And, you know, again, per your point of getting some bylined articles, it's a really good, easy, effective way to do it. And one of the things we're looking at now, because I've had success with this in general, is I was thinking, you know, what we ought to do is be more strategic about what I write about, And then what we can do is as a part of our sales re-engagement process, send it to clients and be like, hey, Chris was recently featured on Newsweek where she talked about X, Y, and Z. Could we help you build a plan for this? And now we're, you know, getting more credibility and because it is paid, we can control. You can't promote yourself, but you can have more control over what you write about than if it was truly an organic posting. So, you know, these are just little secrets that can help you to get more exposure more quickly.
0: Definitely. And I'm wondering also if they would let you, if they wouldn't, but this is a great example. Let's say you do work for a publication. Like for example, I work, I write for search engine journal right now. So I'll, I'll, I'll publish my article on search engine journal and then they will allow me to then syndicate it on, let's say LinkedIn as an article on medium as an article. Thrive Global, my blog, um, you know, if you wanted to syndicate it, you could, you know, just as long as we give credit at the end and give that original link at the end. So, you know, that's one way to like take your byline article and then spread it out, you know, whether even, even if you did it, even if you were quoted in a, in a Forbes article that somebody else wrote, you could re-syndicate it and reposition the headline.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. There's so much opportunity, but it's about having the time and being strategic with it.
0: Yes, definitely. So we have a question. Krista, as platforms become pay to play, how do you suggest small businesses find their create their creative gene to boost their organic success?
1: Okay, so... I will directly answer your question, but first I'm going to give you the non-answer answer that you didn't ask for. But it's it's okay to pay to play as well, right? So I think in if I look at how social media has evolved, we view these as two totally separate ideas. But the way I think about it is, if it was worth you taking all the time and effort to craft this post, and it strategically elevates your business and someone's impression of your business, why would you not? spend a little bit of money to get more visibility from that. If your content isn't worth paying for people to see, is it worth posting? So I would just give you that food for thought, because I think it's okay to pay to get get visibility. And it's more vital on some platforms versus others, right? Facebook, for example, that algorithm is hard for businesses. I, I know some clients that get, you know, Even over 100% reach so they're getting that viral reach beyond their page followers but it's tricky and only certain types of businesses are effective at that. When it comes to organic though on any social network it's about really mastering what the audience is interested in and delivering it in a simple way. Here's an example I'll share with you. So Reels on Instagram are killing it right now because Facebook wants to compete or Meta wants to compete with TikTok and they can manipulate their own algorithms to get visibility where they want to. So I was speaking at, Facebook is one of our clients. So we work with them and I was speaking at their small business event in Columbus and there were these ladies there who, their business recruits dental hygienists. So I had them do a quick reel, like they danced pointing up, and then they danced pointing down. It was four seconds. And then we overlaid text. Are you a dental hygienist? Contact me for your next opportunity. And it was just to show them how to create a reel. That was actually the intention. They posted it. They came back to me four hours later. They were like, Krista, we got 50,000 views. 50,000 views. Better than I've done. (laughs) And I think that's the key to success, right? Is not overthinking stuff and looking at where are these sort of unicorn opportunities within the platforms to elevate your reach with fun, engaging content.
0: Definitely. And while we're on the subject of social media, so one of the topics we wanted to touch on for females and minorities, social media musts and myths. So a must is obviously reels are a must right now in social. I totally agree. And, you know, I think I was gonna do an experiment and do like all reels for for a week or two and see what happens, you know, compared to like a week of doing like reels mixed in. But what are some myths that you can share with us and some must besides reels?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I think one of the myths is that being on TikTok is vital and is going to give you virality. No, I can show you a million businesses that are on TikTok. No one looks at their stuff. Same as everywhere. You have to have good content, right? So, I would say a big myth right now is that everyone needs to be on TikTok. And I can't tell you how many clients are asking me about this. I think a must is to double down where you already have success and stop trying to be everywhere. So almost every business I work with, more of my advice is centered around really nail one or two platforms instead of doing a half-okay job everywhere, right? You look at an Instagram influencer. Are they sitting up at night saying like, oh, but I really, I heard LinkedIn is important. Why is my LinkedIn profile bad? No, they're sitting up at night thinking, how do I double my success on Instagram? And that's how they nail Instagram. A YouTube, you know, unboxing person. They're just constantly, how do I make better unboxing? How do I make better unboxing? That's how they make millions. Businesses don't have that mindset and marketers don't have that mindset. I think we chase shiny objects. And for most people, I think optimizing isn't as fun as building. Just, you know, and there's a lot of pressure to be everywhere. So what I see is businesses on every single platform but they're kind of like on this hamster wheel where they're doing stuff, but none of it is getting traction and none of it is really making a big difference. So I think prioritization is really vital and optimizing the places where you can disproportionately win.
0: Definitely. And for example, with Instagram and with, you know, we see this in analyzing business brands, but with personal brands, one thing that I notice, and I deal with a lot of young adults teaching, I used to teach at University of Florida, and now I'm just, my daughter's 20. So I see all of their Instagram, whether they're professionals in the professional world or about to be in, and they post only about, you know, pictures of themselves, for example. So I feel like if you're building your personal brand, that you want to focus on what you want to be known for, besides like, you know, a picture of you, like a selfie at right. the beach or, you know, so I recommend, and I'd love to hear your recommendation. I say, you know, start another Instagram account that's for your, you know, whatever you want to be known for professionally and start posting, if, if it's Instagram, but start yeah. posting content that is not not just a pick, all of you, you, you. Well, and I think whether it's all of you
1: or all of whatever, right? It's about being deliberate. So this is the example I use when I talk about personal branding. It's a totally true story. So like when Instagram came out now a million years ago, I had to join because I do this for a living. Right. So I joined Instagram and I'm posting stuff because I do this for a living. Right. Anyways, about three months in, I'm like auditing my Instagram account. So one of the things I always say is like audit yourself, meaning step back, pretend you don't know you. And like what impression am I creating? Right. So I'm looking at my Instagram. What impression am I creating? No joke. Over 90% of my pictures are alcohol. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Probably mine
1: are too. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, shit, sorry, shoot. I look like an alcoholic. And so that was a trigger for me to be more deliberate in my content and bring in balance. Right. So to me, it's all about balance. I'm not going to hide the fact that I like a dirty martini or a glass of wine, but it doesn't need to be 90% of my content. It ought to be 10. And I think the same is true with the selfie it's okay. You know, that stuff gets like, that's who you are. And I think for young people, it's a little different because they are frankly doing more inappropriate things and want more separation. But for most business professionals, it's not about hiding who you are. It's about balance and making sure that at the end of the day, you put your best foot forward. And this is true everywhere. There was a guy who applied for a job we had on LinkedIn. So of course I go to his LinkedIn profile and it's for a visible position in our company to be a trainer, right? I'll get his LinkedIn. And 90% of the stuff he's posting about and commenting on are about how employees don't want to go back to work and employers are deluded. And I'm like, this is not the energy I want to be around. And I'm sure this guy has no idea. And I'm also sure he has a lot of knowledge and insights that he could offer the world beyond complaining about it. And this is where I think people fall off the rails because we all have, like, obviously when I talked to him, his employer was mandating everyone go back to the office. He wasn't happy. He was looking for a new job. I get it. We all have our actual real personal things, but you need to hold that back to some degree and balance it with things that create the impression you
0: really want. Definitely. Definitely. So we have a question. Do you have any specific tools, techniques, Used to identify the channels a business audience is on.
1: Got you. So, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of things you need to look at. Some are quantitative and some are qualitative. So, the most obvious thing is just sort of the demographics, right? So, if you look at TikTok, it's younger. So, if you're reaching younger audiences, bam. So, the first stage of identifying the fit is just looking at is your audience literally there. The second thing you need to look at though is are they receptive to your type of messages there. This is why businesses have never gotten into Snapchat. Because most Snapchat users are not receptive to most advertising and marketing messages on that platform. I worked with a college that advertised on, you know, five different channels and their Snapchat ads while they were lower costs, that audience didn't spend any time on their website. So if someone clicked on their ad on Instagram, they would spend two minutes on the site, let's say, off of Snapchat, it was maybe five seconds, not even, it was like almost zero. And that tells you about that audience, right? So even though as a college, their audience 100% is on Snapchat, they're obviously just not receptive to that type of message in that type of platform. So you got to look at The second thing is, is your audience receptive to your message there? And then the third thing I always look at is what are the actual opportunities for businesses and are they sustainable? So a lot of the times when a new social network comes around, the opportunity is just a first mover advantage, which isn't really sustainable. Look at like Pokemon Go. I don't know if you guys remember when like all these businesses were on Pokemon Go. Right Now it seems ridiculous, but there were businesses that got success there but they were it was first mover right so how can businesses participate is this sustainable again it's one of the things that why is snapchat not more popular with marketers because of how the network operates it's more difficult for businesses to connect with people than on let's say instagram or facebook so you get those would be the three factors that i would use to decide what networks to participate in
0: what about any tools Did you mention a tool? Yeah, I'm not sure
1: that there's any tools that will give you that answer specifically, but there's demographics available on all of the networks. I think your decision, though, it's quantitative and qualitative. And, you know, the other thing that I think comes into play is your actual skill as a business, as a marketer or whatever. So, you know... it's totally weird, but I was talking to DUI attorneys recently and there's some DUI attorney who's like all over TikTok and they all think he's amazing. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But the thing is for him, he, obviously you just look at this guy, he gets the platform, he finds it fun and he's naturally quite good at it. If I took an average DUI attorney and said, Hey, you need to do this. They can't replicate that. Exactly. They don't have the skills. They don't understand what people like and it would take them, even if they could replicate it, their investment would be huge because they would need to hire someone to do every aspect of it. So the other factor in deciding where to play comes back to your actual ability. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it, to, to win in that platform. And I think it's different for every marketer, every type of business and every individual. So even if there were tools, these qualitative things that you ought to think about, none of them can give you that type of input.
0: Yeah. It just made me think of one thing though. If Instagram is your channel, always LinkedIn should be part of it from a personal branding standpoint. But yeah. if Instagram is one of your channels, definitely um, make that a professional account. And that way you'll get more insights as to, yeah. you know, demographics and different insights that will help you decide, you know, how your content is doing from a personal branding standpoint. Yeah. I want to move into SEO, but we have a question from Lexi. She says, hi, Kristen and Lisa. I'm the marketer at a Web3 NFT company, and I'm in the beginning stages of creating a brand around our project versus just coming to market with products. Very smart, because that's unlike most NFT projects. How do you help define and refine what your brand's voice should be and which metric would you use to help define if that approach is successful?
1: So the first half of your question in terms of defining your brand tone of voice, the tool that I always like to use is brand archetypes. And actually in my book on personal branding, I have, and if you, I can, I have graphics. If you go to launch, I'll give you the link to the personal branding site that we have and you can see launch yourself it's just launchyourself.com. I need to check actually if that's the right URL, but we have a personal brand. I think it's called the personal brand style finder. And that will show you the persona that matches your personal brand when you answer some quiz type questions, but we basically took how brands are built around these archetypes and adapted it for personal brands. So for a brand, when you think about branding, first of all, the key is specificity and focus. If you try and do too many things, you'll stand for nothing. So I started my career working at Procter & Gamble on Tide Laundry Detergent. If you're outside of the U.S., Tide Laundry Detergent, everywhere else is Ariel. And they have over 50% market share almost everywhere. Why? It's the best clean. Guess what? It's not. It's not the cheapest. It doesn't smell the best. They focus clean, stain fighting, 10 different ways to say clean. But it's super focused what their brand is about and what their brand promises And then they choose a brand archetype that is linked to that, right? It's a serious brand. Tide Laundry Detergent is not fun. They're not doing goofy crap, right? It's a serious brand because it's about stain fighting and cleaning. So I think the first thing is to figure out what is your brand's unique selling point, right? Focus, focus, focus on that. Then you look at the brand archetypes and that tells you the tone of voice that you want to use to articulate your brand and then be consistent and go all in on it. I think where so many brands struggle is they don't go far enough with how they position themselves. And this is true with personal brands and real brands, right? You look at like a boy band or a girl band, right? I think of the Spice Girls because I'm old, <laughs> but there's like Sporty Spice and Posh Spice and this Spice, right? They really differentiate and amplify a feature to differentiate these women. And the same, I used to like new kids on the block, right? It was the same thing. It's five guys. They're all friends. They're all the same, but they choose one aspect to really differentiate each of them and they amplify it. So whether it's a personal brand or a legit brand, what you need to think about is really defining it clearly. Brand archetypes are a great tool. That's what, if you hire a branding company, this is what they'll do for you. So just do it for yourself, right? Save the money. And then just really go all in on whatever that archetype is and don't be distracted by also trying to be fun or also this or also that in terms of metrics for success you know if you have a budget you can do branding studies and brand perception studies you could look at something like a net promoter score as well but you'll start to see in terms of how people articulate your brand Um, back to you it's a little more qualitative over time but you'll start to see if you're making that sort of unique space for yourself yeah
0: one thing I would add to that, especially for Web three and NFT brands and companies, is to look at your founders and what is their brand, personal brand story, and what is their narrative. Because the biggest mistake I see, with you know, in the past year with women led NFT pro- projects and Web three companies, is that you know some of them it, they think it's cool to be so secretive on who the who the founders are, and there's you know not uh, a lot of depth and who's who's behind this brand, who's behind this NFT project, who's behind this Web3 company. So with Web3 everything being so ex- especially we're in a state of, you know, kind of a big transition and, you know, nobody exactly knows where things are going to end up, to be as transparent as possible on the founder story and that narrative and, and why the company is starting and, and the purpose and the mission and the experience behind behind the team, I think is critical from a branding standpoint
1: yeah, hundred percent.
0: Let's get into SEO for personal branding for females and and minorities. And I'm just going to start with my favorite is I love optimization. So I think that's like one of the biggest misses that if somebody just like focuses a little bit on optimizing their content from, you know, whether it's your Instagram profile or LinkedIn profile, it's so easy to get, you know, more exposure, but getting your domain name, you know, lisabeyer.com, kristineer.com is just another way to get found in search and another way that, you know, somebody's going to be searching your name. You want to control the search results. So what are some other SEO tips that you can offer from a personal branding standpoint for females and minorities? Yeah, so how I
1: think about it is if I have a good personal brand, it attracts the opportunities to me, right? And this is the same, a brand brand for a business. It attracts what you want, right? And what I see again and again is that Again, we're not going all in, we're not publishing enough content, et cetera. One of the things that's important is if you think about what do I wanna be known for? What do I want people to think of me when, you know, when they think about X, I want them to come to me. And you start putting out that kind of content. It honestly, I mean, it does sort of matter where it is, but it could be a LinkedIn article. It could be on your personal blog. It could be on Medium. Anywhere that is found by search engines will do the trick. The key though, is that if you do this consistently, that brings opportunities to you. So I wrote the, I co-authored the first textbook on social media that came to me because of search. This guy had a contract. He's like a professional textbook writer and he had a contract to write a textbook on social media. So he needed to bring together a couple of subject matter experts to publish it. He found content I had written about how to build a social media plan. That's how I got my book deal on the textbook i wrote a dummies book they came to me if i had wanted a dummies book i'd have chased that around all day long and never gotten it you know instead i self published a book on visual social media marketing and this was like just when instagram was up and coming and pinterest and it was all about the role of visuals how to choose the right visuals a little bit about pinterest a little bit about instagram so i self published a book called visual social media marketing originally we were going to make it only an ebook but it ended up being like 150 pages. So we thought, "Eh, let's just make it a real book too. It's not that with Amazon, it's not that much extra effort. Sounds weird to say, but it's true. (laughs) Anyways, the dummies people had the idea to do the visual social marketing book. They saw the demand. They searched for people. They found me. They were like, hey, your book is self published, right? You know, you can reuse those ideas. We're not going to run into conflicts of copyright. (laughs) Nope. And that's how I got that contract. So by putting out your knowledge and expertise, there's always people looking and usually in ways you would never anticipate. Almost all of my biggest clients, media appearances, I was on CNN. They literally found me by searching as a Twitter expert.
0: Yeah, there's a stat that when a survey of journalists, 100% of journalists surveyed, they either start their search when they're writing a story by Googling or they confirm or end their story confirming different statistics. So being found in Google is so critical, whether it's your name or whether your, your name tied to what they're, their, the topic that they're writing their story on.
1: Well, and so here's one thing again, I'm telling you guys all my secrets, but like one of the other things is like, so for whatever reason in the social media world, and I would say digital people frown on you calling yourself an expert. And I think it's actually just a way for mediocrity to rise because if you, know, you buy into this narrative that no one can be an expert, like there's experts in everything, people who dedicate their time and energy to know it, like, come on, right? But in the industry, people, if you say like, oh, I'm a social media expert, everyone would jump down your throat and make you feel like a total loser for saying it. But guess what? Journalists out there searching social media experts Someone who needs a consultant, someone who needs a speaker. Yeah, okay. So well, I optimize all my sites yeah, for You're whatever boy, expert, okay. despite some of the uh, industry noise, uh, because at the end of the day, yeah, um, I'm filling my bank account with uh, opportunities. Okay. Well, these people are so worked up about deciding what words everyone in the world is allowed to use. <laughs> right. And so, to some extent, you know, by really thinking about what is your brand and putting it out there proactively, you can get so many opportunities.
0: Definitely. Um, before we move on to the next topic, any other tips on SEO? Chris, I wanted to talk about, well, if you have any other SEO tips, and then let's talk about what it means to be a Meta-certified trainer and the program She Means Business that Meta offers for females and minorities. Anybody can take take some of these courses, but tell, give us a little bit of background on how you know, you said Facebook is one of your clients, but you're also a certified meta trainer and what that means. And I just got certified too. So I help Krista and Bootcamp Digital with their training events.
1: Yeah. So Facebook launched this program in pilot a number of years ago. And basically one of the things they realized is that they want qualified, competent, vetted people out there teaching their content on their behalf. So the the Facebook certified trainer badge is a badge that is practically unavailable anymore. Facebook's one of our clients. That's why we get it. But it's an individual badge that you can get that certifies you as a lead trainer. And what that means is that Facebook has vetted you quite heavily to allow you to do training on their behalf. And you have to pass some of the blueprint certifications first plus the lead trainer certification so that's what it means and it's a it's a big deal and congratulations Lisa on getting it because it's not easy but one of the things that I love about partnering with Facebook is that they do a lot of programming to help various communities so one of the ones Lisa mentioned is she means business and that's a program specifically for women business owners. If you go to just Google, she means business then it'll bring you to their website on it, but it's full of free educational resources specifically to elevate female business owners and help with your success. So that's an awesome place to hang out. Another really cool program they offer is Elevate. It's targeting black and Hispanic business owners. So that might apply to only a small subset of you, but they do things even like they offer grants for business owners within their thing. They give special availability to content. They offer vouchers on some of the certification exams, which is super nice. Um, so there's a lot of these programs out there and available. The key is keep your eyes open. And what I would say is lean in and participate in as many of these programs as you can, because oftentimes they give you opportunities on the back end as well.
0: Definitely. And there's also courses under Facebook Blueprint that you can just take just to refine or brush up on your your skills. I mean, they're all related to either Facebook. Most of them are related to Facebook and Instagram, but there's some on business planning and, you know, not specifically Facebook that you can take for free. And when you complete the course, they give you, you know, something that you got a certification, you know, you could put it on your LinkedIn that just gives you even more credibility. And I just wanted to share a stat, which is, you know, this out of all the fortune 500 CEOs, only 8% of them are women CMOs. There's a higher percentage of women in the fortune 500 companies, but Having this expertise in digital marketing, if you are trying to you know, level up in, in a C-suite type of position, there's still many, and Chris and I can vouch for this because we interact with C-suite titles for every size company, there's still many C-suites that are not familiar as they should be with digital marketing. So the more expertise and experience you have in digital marketing, the more it will help you be able to communicate with the team and understand, you know, give them direction and guidance on a digital marketing standpoint and understand what reports mean and ask the right questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if you look at senior marketing positions, there's a lot of, I would say, white space for digital marketers there because almost every marketing director role you're going to find, every CMO role you're going to find, They are all asking for digital experience, but guess what? Most people who started their career 20, 30, 40 years ago who are in the space of these senior roles, they lack the digital experience and they especially lack sort of that hands-on nitty gritty knowledge. And I think that's where there's a huge opportunity to accelerate and shine if you have this skill set because in senior roles, it's just hard to come by and every business is hoping to find these digital unicorns for their leadership positions.
0: And it's increasingly harder. Definitely. And, you know, we've been in the tech space, internet marketing space for 10 plus years. And, you know, it it was back when we started, I mean, extremely male dominated. Now, you know, women and females are starting to, you know, kind of take up a higher percentage, but it still is pretty much male dominated. So the more you can do and expose yourself to internet marketing, different types of conferences and education and get your certifications, you'll become more confident and we need more women to be in in this field to, to increase the numbers for sure.
1: Yeah, I fully agree.
0: The last thing I wanted to talk about, and we touched on content slightly and we're coming into the last few minutes here. So please put any questions you have for us, no worries. If we missed any questions, I don't think we did, but about content, is there any other tips you can give us on content and focused on, on content to help us elevate our personal brand?
1: So I think the key when it comes to content is everything has a purpose and everything is building toward this reputation you want to create for yourself. Right. Right. So, to me, the biggest thing you can do is post more often and post with purpose. You know, again, I posted that I'm hiring, and somehow that makes people think my business is successful. Like, it could just be that I fired 10 people. Who knows? Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. the thing is, I think if you really want to elevate your brand, Those are the two things that will make the biggest difference because building that top of mind awareness with people, that's an investment in something that pays out forever and ever. One of the things that I always am reminded of on LinkedIn is, you know, I post a lot, a lot of the times none of it gets a lot of attention, right? So it's not about these like viral, uber popular things, It's this day in day out post 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 and what I find is like someone who I went to college with will be like hey Krista my company's talking about social media I know that's what you do could we talk to you, you know when I was in college there was no social media and I majored in finance, how does this guy know what I'm doing to reach out to me linkedin. And he's never interacted with stuff. I didn't even recall connecting to him. But it's just that regularity of posting. So I think that's the number one thing you can do. And even, you know, Lisa talked about SEO, whether you have your own website, you're using LinkedIn articles, medium, wherever you're posting that regularity and getting as much content out because over time it builds traction and it brings those opportunities back to you.
0: Yeah, I love that. Another idea is also... You know, we talked a little bit about a podcast before we went live and the power of a podcast and you know the different strategies. But if you're a personal brand and you wanna showcase your your credibility and authority, and you know, you, you don't want to, you know, you could, you don't have a big budget or any budget. If you're on Instagram or LinkedIn now has LinkedIn live, you can go live on a social media channel from your personal profile and you know invite somebody else to talk about whatever your expertise is, whatever, maybe you're going to comment on, you know, trending news in your industry that week, but doing the lives, especially on Instagram, um, you'll get more, more exposure and those lives can save as videos and almost like mini podcasts on your, on your channel, whether it's LinkedIn or, or Instagram or, or Facebook, depending on where your, your audience is. So from a content standpoint, just in general, like where to post it and you don't have to have a big budget. You could just go, go use lives regularly.
1: Yeah. That's an awesome tip. I love it. And I think even like content repurposing is really what you're getting at to a certain extent, right? Where you create one thing and then you have it live in different forms. And you actually mentioned that earlier as well with, well, i write an article for search engine journal and the ones that's indexed there, I can cross post it here, there, and everywhere. And it's all elevating your expertise, right? And you as the thought leader, which is vital.
0: Definitely. And I'd love to use the example. I mean, if we were like you know, if I was practicing what I'm preaching right now, we would be live on Facebook. I'd have my iPad here live on Instagram and we would be just basically like going live simultaneously to this Zoom live, but I don't have everything together as perfectly as I would like right now. But Suzanne Summers, if you look up her Instagram, she is so unbelievable it's just her and her husband is the camera guy and then her daughter is the president of the company they go live every Monday Wednesday and Friday very consistently for the past two years at least I've been paying attention and there's no high level production they're just going live they have a they chit chat like a talk show and then there's always some sort of a sale happening with some one of her products but they talk about trending topics in the news and what's happening in her personal life and I love using her be- as an example because she's 76, her husband's 80 and they have literally figured out like, and it's just, you can tell it's just kind of rigged together, but it works and she, people love her. And you know, that's her personal brand is she's controlling it without having to, you know, get, you know, have a, a big production on QVC or wherever she was, you know, where other other places she could be. Deepak Chopra, same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, especially with women, there's so many reasons why not, right? Oh, I don't think my makeup is good enough. I don't have the right lighting. I don't blah, blah, blah. Look, I am well aware. I have a horrible background today. There's construction <laughs> at my house. Does that, does that make a difference in how you hear my message? Does that make a difference in the credibility? No. Would it? you know, like we get so caught up in these things that are not real problems holding us back. And I think, you know, for me, I I, I talked to a woman who's like, I want to update my LinkedIn, but I don't have a good enough profile picture. And she was like, how do you do your makeup so well? I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I'm like the least knowledgeable beauty person in the freaking world. So it cracks me up that that's her perception. But I came up with a look like 10 years ago. I always look the same when I do stuff and it works and it's easy. Figure out what is it that you need to get that confidence, but you don't need to look perfect. It's better if you don't, you just
0: got to do it. Exactly. We have one last question from Lexi. What is an authentic way? Is it strategic to use your personal brand to help your company's brand? I give that a big yes. And I see that as a mistake in so many startups where they don't do this. And, you know, this has been the, the last 10 years, like you can see the T Mobile CEO, I can't remember his name, but he's like very active on his Twitter account. And people love that. What is your take on that,
1: Krista? 150%, <coughs> especially for startups and small businesses. Studies show for everyone, you know, the reputation of a CEO or leadership of an organization filters into how people perceive that company. And I think at the end of the day, we connect with humans, right? The way we connect with a brand or business is different and it'll always be different. So a lot of people frame it as either or. To me, it's like a one-two, right? Where your business presence is achieving one thing for you, but the personal brands are such an untapped opportunity to be able to elevate the company brand and bring business into it. If I think of Lisa, like a lot of the people we know in the industry who run companies, when there's a conference coming up, they're not running out to buy booth space. They're running out to speak. It's about the human who's the expert who gets people bought in and that's where your business comes from. The booth, it's not, it's again, not an either or, but that's not going to close as much business for so many people as being that expert in the space and making those one-to-one relationships and connections as an expert. So to me, There's a huge opportunity if only you can harness it properly, right? So you just got to put yourself out there, hustle for those opportunities, and then you're in a great position to use your personal brand to elevate your business and vice versa.
0: Definitely. Naima just said, that's the power we have in digital as women and underserved communities. We know how to bring the human touch That is an asset in the space, That definitely.
1: I was just going to say, you know, it is a superpower that women have. I think, especially with personal branding and content creation, there's an organization I work with that has all these recruiters and they want their recruiters to use social what better. And like, not to be all genderized, but the ladies are killing it. And it's because- they get the platforms, they get social, they know how to position everything. And some of the leadership will be like, well, they're cute women. of course they can do it. And I'm like, nah, (laughs) it's not about how they look. Stop demeaning it to someone's appearance, which is what you do when you say that. Like it's got nothing to do with how they look. It's that they take the time to actually be social and that's what they're doing well. So there's huge opportunity. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say like, you know, my PR agency days, my clients in the tech world, mostly male. I mean, the one thing that I begged them to do to the strategy was to, you know, get them, you know, interview them on lives, get them speaking, but but usually using their own channels like Instagram Live or Facebook Live or LinkedIn Live and just getting on consistently so that they build trust and they understand who the founders are. But it, it's, it seems so simple, but the majority don't do it. So if you do it, it's easy to win. It's easy yes. to get the exposure. You have very little competition. So Krista, bootcampdigital.com, she has all sorts of certifications available, courses. She's in different cities. We'll be together in Kansas City with the, the Meta. Christy, you could say it better. What is it? Yeah, it's the Metaboost
1: small business events. If you are, I would say, if you're in a city where this event is coming, take advantage. It's a fully free event for small businesses. I know some of you are global. There are global executions as well. Look up Metaboost events in your country, but the US-based ones are coming to Kansas City, Austin, Texas, and San Diego. So if you're nearby, take a look at those free events full of killer content. And Lisa and I will be there as your extra Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Come say hi if you're in those cities. And thanks so much, Krista, for your time. Thank everybody who tuned in. So with that, thank you so much. And namaste. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Female Disruptors Office Hours. If you want more, please check out our website at femaledisruptors.com. We are hosting the second annual Female Disruptors Virtual Summit in January 2023. And I would love to see you there. femaledisruptors.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, The Buyer Group, Goat Social, and Social Media Pros.